0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Indeed, this is the the third in a series of four from the last section of Genesis. We don't have time to to go all the way to the end of Genesis, to chapter 50. Uh, Next week we will conclude... Uh, this series uh, with chapter 40 But I wanted to go through these chapters and, and show something of how God was working From the very beginning with his plan And from the very beginning God had a plan for mankind And that was that they would, that they would be fruitful And multiply and fill the earth with his glory And it was a perfect plan. It was a good plan. Indeed, he said it is a good, good plan. It is a perfect plan. But then I mentioned in the first uh, sermon that that plan was complicated. And many times our plans are complicated as, as well. And maybe sometimes when we have complications in our plans maybe we give up on them. But God did not give up on his plan because it was complicated by the sin that had entered the world. No, he continued on with that plan. And what he was doing was he was raising a, a people who would be divine image bearers to fill the earth with God's glory. They were to reflect, resemble, and represent their Heavenly Father, and, and that's kind of the, the overall picture, you might say, of, of, uh, of Genesis. And this is the last building block in Genesis uh, for this plan, and it will go on beyond Genesis, but this is the, the last portion of Genesis where that plan is being explained. And in that, that first episode, chapter 37, we saw Joseph, <clears throat> a 17-year-old boy who had dreams of having the, the birthright and the blessing. And it was good reason for him to have that dream because his father had made a long-sleeved tunic, a special garment that indicated that he was the one who was going to get the birthright. He was going to get the blessing instead of his brothers, and his brothers hated him for it. And we saw in that chapter that Joseph, this 17-year-old boy, was sold into slavery, and he was taken down into Egypt. Then in the second episode we saw how Judah also goes down from his brothers, but he goes down into a very precarious situation where, where he, was, he was not uh, following uh, the Lord. And in that second episode, uh, Judah had an identity crisis. He had to identify his signet, his cord, and his staff. And when he identified that, he identified the guilt in his own heart. And I believe he repented at that, at that point. And that, that changed Judah. And if we were to continue on in the story... We're not going to get there, but if you were to look into chapters 43 and 44, you would see a remarkably changed man that Judah was. Judah was the one that wanted to sell his brother into slavery so he could make a little bit of money. But later on, he was willing to offer himself as a pledge for his youngest half brother, Benjamin. What a changed man. And that chapter is seldom preached, partly because there's some rather embarrassing elements of that story. But in contrast, chapter 39 is often preached. It's being preached in this church today. But my guess is that if you took all the churches all over the world, that many, many churches would be hearing a sermon on chapter 39 of Genesis. And that's largely for the reason that, uh, that it has some elements there that people want to preach to, to, uh, to flee sin, to resist temptation... And so pastors often will, will take this chapter in order to encourage and exhort the people of the church to holy living. And so it's often preached, very often preached. Um, what we're going to do today is I'm going to go section by section and do a close reading of, of this chapter I, I'm, I want to do that in order to give us some sense of how to read and how to listen to, hear this story and understand it. So I'm going to read the, the first six verses of, uh, of this chapter. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt in Potiphar, of office of Pharaoh, the chief of the guard, an Egyptian had had bought him from the hand of the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there the lord was with joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his egyptian master his master saw that the lord was with him and that the lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand so joseph found favor in his eyes and attended him and he made him overseer of his house And put in his hand all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he abandoned all that he had in Joseph's hand, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the bread he ate. Joseph, he goes down to Egypt. And this picks up on the, the last verse of chapter 37. And it connects it because the, the previous story was about Judah. Uh, and he, it's emphasized again that he went down into Egypt. Twice it says that. And so when it, the text says it twice, we should pay attention to that. Going down into Egypt was for uh, his family almost as if uh, he, Joseph was going down into death, almost. Egypt was a, was a place where there was a preoccupation preoccupi- with uh, death and the afterlife, And so Joseph goes down into Egypt. And notice I've said that he was bought from the hand of the Ishmaelites. And this this picks up on one of the key words that I would like to emphasize in this uh, this sermon. Key words are important for us to see and to understand and, and listen for. Uh, Maybe over the last 50 years or so, many, many uh, Bible teachers and scholars have been applying literary methods to understanding God's Word. And one of them is key words, words that bind together a particular section uh, of of Scripture. And oftentimes, a key word is like this one, hand. A key word, it, it... it just means, in some cases, it just means four fingers, a thumb and a palm that 's it. Uh, but hand can mean so much more than just four fingers a uh, thumb and a palm, uh, even even in English and in many languages, the, it signifies the physical hand that we have. But it also can, can signify other things. Like, for example, if you go to a, a, a theater performance, I, people might say, let's give them a hand. Meaning, clapping your hands and giving applause to encourage uh, people. I, when, when we come here to set up the uh, uh, things for the church, you might say, could you give me a hand in setting up the podium? Uh, we use it figuratively. And this is exactly the way the first hearers of this, of this story would have understood it. Uh, a hand here means coming into the control, the authority. And so Joseph was under the control of the Ishmaelites and he was bought from them by Potiphar. Now, after that first verse, there seems to be a, a time gap. It explains that he came down into uh, Egypt, and then there's a time gap, and, and then it says the Lord was with Joseph, and notice that is repeated several times in this passage. The Lord was with Joseph, and I want to stop there for a moment and, and consider that. Uh, can you imagine Joseph? As he had been thinking that he was going to be the, the ruler. He was going to be the firstborn and have that right. He had the dreams. He knew the dreams were real. And then all of a sudden he's on his way to Egypt. Can you imagine, can you imagine what Joseph might have been thinking? Did I misinterpret those dreams? What's happened? How can this possibly be? Well, the text doesn't say that he was having some kind of an identity crisis. doesn't say either that he had a crisis of faith. But by the time he is in Potiphar's house, the Lord was with him. And that suggests to me that there was, there was some sense in which Joseph came to grips with his new situation. And notice how many times in this this passage, house is mentioned. uh, Several times, talking about house. Uh, And for us, I think mostly when we think of house, we think of four walls and a roof. Doors and windows. A place where we live. Uh, And that's what it can mean here in this passage as well. but, But house, in this sense, meant all that Potiphar had in his private affairs. It was more than four walls, a roof, doors, and windows. And so, in his house was where Joseph was a successful man. Another key word. And notice notice how many times it says all that he had. All that he had. All that he had. All that he had. Meaning that that everything that was in his control, in Joseph's control in his authority was being blessed and it was the Egyptian that was being blessed he was the one that was getting the blessing and so here Joseph has been separated from his family and maybe that was a good thing in some ways Uh, he needed to get away from the brothers who hated him Uh, And it took time before there would be reconciliation. And so that separation was perhaps a a good thing. But notice he was not separated from his God. God was with him. And causing all that he was involved with to succeed. And so Potiphar, I've changed the text a little bit to say that he abandoned all that he had in Joseph's hands. First he puts it, and then then it suggests that there was an even further step away, abandoning all that he had in Joseph's hand, in his control. And he had no concern about anything but the food or the bread that he ate. I'll explain a little more about what that might mean. But let's go on to the to the next section, verse 7, the end of verse 6 and 7 to to 10. And it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in this house, and he has put all that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife." How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. It's a rare physical description of a a biblical character that he was handsome in form and appearance, And earlier in Genesis, his mother was described that way. That's a very rare thing in in biblical stories to describe. But what the author is doing, what the narrator is saying, is pay attention to this. This This is part of what is going on. And so, as Joseph had found favor in the eyes of Potiphar, she casts her eyes on him in lust. It says, lie with, lie with me. And notice, notice in this passage as well, that the first v- verse of the chapter, Potiphar is described with name and position. And after that, almost every reference to, Pot- to Potiphar is in relationship to Joseph. He is Joseph's master, his master. And then even here, his master's wife. His ma- that, that separates what we always call Potiphar's wife even further distant. And Joseph, we had seen in chapter 37, was a rather bold character. You know, he was, he was quick to want to, to tell his brothers about his dreams. And even his father, and he was very outspoken. You know, we see something of that character as well here. Because he refused the advances from Potiphar's wife and said to her, behold. And I love the beholds in the Bible. Because it means, pay attention. Look at this. See what is happening here. And so he says, behold. And, and it says, look. In a certain sense, use your eyes for something other than lust. Lust. He says, because of me, my master, not your husband, my master has no concern on anything in the house. Once again, he picks up on that key word, house. And he's put all that he has in my hand. And this is a remarkable thing that he then says. He, that is his master, is not greater in this house than he is. Can you imagine a slave, not you know, as almost as great as his master. Remarkable, and he has not kept back anything from me except you. And here, this I think connects back to the end of the previous section, where where it says that, that he that uh, uh, he had abandoned uh, all that he had in Joseph's hand, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the bread he ate and some of the early rabbinic literature suggests that this was a euphemism the bread meaning the marital relationship between a, a man and his wife so he says he says he's 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 given me everything he says except you and then he says a remarkable thing and note the sarcasm here he says because you his wife. She needed reminding of that. And here's, you know, here's what Joseph is doing. He doesn't say something like, "Uh, uh, pardon me, my mistress, uh, may I be so uh, bold as to say I would not like to do. No, he says, he says, he says, I can't do this. I can't do this. How can I do this? And it's not just wickedness. Notice he says, great wickedness and sin against God. In other words, what he was doing was he was accusing Potiphar's wife of great wickedness. Can you imagine that? The boldness there. Joseph was, Joseph was outspoken and bold. Incredibly so. And the story moves on. It didn't stop there. It didn't stop at one incident. She spoke to Joseph. It says, day after day, he wouldn't listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. Moving on then to the, to the next section, <clears throat> And I want you to notice the change in the pace of the story. That previous uh, scene was day after day after day after a time. But then notice what happens here with the pace. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house. She caught him by his garment saying lie with me. But he abandoned his garment in her hand, fled and went outside. And as soon as she saw that he had abandoned his garment in her hand... And had fled outside, she called to the men of her house and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew man to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he abandoned his garment beside me and fled and went outside. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master. Then it's Joseph's master. Notice notice it's in relationship to Joseph. Until his master came to his house. And she told him the same story saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he abandoned his garment beside me and fled outside. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. Notice that pace. Four times it says, as soon as. And uh, here the uh, ESV, I think, does a very good job of catching the essence of a Hebrew way of saying things that means something causes something else almost instantaneously. So as soon as, as soon as she saw, as as soon as he heard, as soon as I lifted up my voice, and then as soon as his master heard the words, it it shows how quickly all of this was happening. So the, the pace really picks up. And notice, this is the second time Joseph has gotten in trouble because of a garment. The first time, of course, was with his, with his robe of long sleeves. That was his special sign of his father's love. Here it was his normal garment that he was wearing as he conducted his business. But once again, that garment was going to be used as false evidence. Just like his brothers had used... His garment as false evidence of what had happened to him. And the loss of a garment or the change of a garment, oftentimes, in fact, probably almost always in the Bible, signifies some kind of change in status. And once again, here it's showing a change in his status. He's no longer going to be steward over Potiphar's house. He was going somewhere else. He loses his garment. But he's, he's lost the garment twice. <laughs> but if you were to read chapter 41... No, yeah, 41, when, when Joseph is brought up out of prison, he will get two sets of garments. He will get garments... To allow him to appear before Pharaoh. And then when Pharaoh elevates him to uh, being the steward of of all of Pharaoh's house, so to speak. He will be given fine linen clothes to wear. So the change in clothes signifies a change in in status. And now Potiphar's Potiphar's wife needed witnesses. So she calls the men, uh, and it says the men of her house. And this sort of suggests that there was a separate group of people, maybe a separate part of the whole estate that was under her control. And so she calls the men of her house. And clearly there must have been some degree of loyalty there, because because she says, uh, see, he has brought among us... A Hebrew man to laugh at us. She doesn't even name him. She doesn't say Potiphar. She doesn't say. Uh, she doesn't say uh, my husband. She doesn't say the master. Just that he brought. It kind of suggests. It kind of suggests that there was often conversation about him. This suggests that there was some kind of perhaps some distance, some tension between Potiphar's wife and Potiphar. He's brought among us a Hebrew man to laugh at us. Says, Hebrew man. Now she's now she's playing the ethnic card, probably. Here's, Here's the house and who is in control. Joseph, and there was probably some tension there, and so she appeals to that, saying, "This Hebrew man that he brought among us to laugh at us." And that that uh, expression to laugh at us carries kind of a double meaning. It means it means laughter. It can mean to, la- uh, to laugh. Uh, that's where that's where uh, Isaac got his name from, Yitzhak. I mean, it. it kind of meant laughter, you know, ha, 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 that, that sort of thing. But it can also have the connotation of some sexual fondness, he might say. In fact, with Isaac, uh, when, uh, when uh, Isaac pulls the, the little uh, she's my sister trick on Abimelech, Abimelech sees Yitzhak, Isaac, laughing with Rachel and uh, 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 Rebecca, rather, uh, laughing with, with his wife, suggesting, suggesting that uh, uh, there was some sexual play involved. And so it has that double meaning. It, it, it could mean to laugh, to mock. But it can also mean to hmm, have some extra activities there. So, as we read between the lines, we can see there is some estrangement here. There's some distance in this household. And notice she accuses Potiphar of this. She, you know, had laid up the garment and uh, she told him the same story. She says, the Hebrew servant servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. So she's accusing him. He's responsible. He's the one that caused this problem. And he abandoned his garment. And notice she, she tells almost a story but she says she, he abandoned it beside her but that's not the case she, it was abandoned his garment in her hand and he fled outside and as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him this is the way your servant treated me his anger was kindled and, and there's, there's some beautiful ambiguity here. A little bit of ambiguity. Uh, who is he angry with? Joseph? I think not. I think he was angry at his wife. Now, I can't prove it. I can't prove it. But there is this ambiguity there. As soon as he heard these words, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And I think there's evidence that it was his wife that he was angry with because Joseph was put into uh, confinement. Now think about that. Would, would, Would a powerful minister of Pharaoh who had a servant, a slave... Uh, uh, try to molest his wife, would, would he just simply throw him in confinement? Or would he have him executed? No, I think, I think Potiphar realized that his best asset was Joseph. And his wife had just spoiled his best asset. And so Joseph then goes from household steward to prisoner. And he goes further down into a jailhouse. Verse 20, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the jailhouse, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jailhouse. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the eyes of the chief of the jailhouse. And the chief of the jailhouse put the hand of, in, in the hand of Joseph all the prisoners who were in the jailhouse, all which they were doing there. He was the one who did it. The chief of the jailhouse paid no attention to all of that which was in Joseph's hand. Because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is almost a mirror image of, of the of the first ep- part of this episode, uh, and you can you can see it as well in the in the uh, the, the words that are used. I've changed, Um, almost all translations say something like prison or dungeon, Uh, but the the expression contains the word house, so that the original hearers of this story would have heard that word house once again, and so uh, one or two translations say dungeon house, which is which is okay; it preserves that key word. But I've chosen to to say jailhouse, and when I checked uh, a dictionary, it said that this is an American English expression, jailhouse, and I realized that I realize that that uh, uh, this congregation is not full of Americans, but other people. But if I can if i can give some justification to preserving that keyword house in this translation i'm going to i'm going to rely on uh, elvis presley elvis presley yeah yeah jailhouse rock so jailhouse going all the way back to the 1950s has entered in to Pop culture, all over the world, jailhouse rock. Well, I hope that will help you to remember that when it says prison or dungeon here, it really it it really means jailhouse. In fact, the the word means house of roundness. That's what it would be literal literally in um, the the original, and it's only used. In this chapter and then later on in a following chapter to describe this one place. Nowhere else in scripture is that house of roundness expression used. And so you can see that the, that the narrator is wanting to repeat that word house once again. Once again, favor in the eyes of someone. All that was in Joseph's hand and the Lord made him... Succeed. Well, what do we make of these key words? I believe the original hearers of this story would have clearly heard these key words and been been able to come to some sense of what they mean. And on on one level, on one level, the house is talking about a place. So wherever Joseph was, whether it was in Potiphar's house or in the jailhouse, the Lord was with him. And what of the scope? What of the scope? All, everything, all. No part of Joseph's life was untouched by the Lord's presence and his providence. And the means? The hand. The Lord worked through Joseph's ordinary work and responsibilities. And the evidence? Success and blessing. The presence of the Lord was observed in the eyes of others. So I'm, I'm sure that the original hearers of this story would have, would have caught these little nuances. Oh, and what about the, what about the garment? They would, have, they would have heard long portions of this story, not just chapter 39. When, when these stories, when, when this was uh, told to people originally, they would have probably listened through the whole of Genesis at one time, and so that garment would have connected it to other garment stories where the, the, the right and the blessing of the firstborn was at issue. And so I think they would have, they would have seen that connection. So, Joseph is becoming a divine image-bearer, reflecting, resembling and representing his heavenly Father. He's lost connection with his earthly father, but he had strong connection with his heavenly Father. So how would the first hearers of this story understood the whole of it? I am confident that the original hearers would have heard all of these details and the key words of the story and understood that the Lord had a plan for them. Despite the adversity, despite the persecution, despite oppression, despite false accusations and prejudices, the Lord had been with them, the people of Israel, was with them and would be with them. The Lord was prepared to redeem them from slavery in Egypt and bring them into the land promised to their father Abraham. And as we've already heard in this service, Abraham Abraham was given another promise that, that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. And we see a hint of this in the blessing that Potiphar had through the work that the Lord was doing through Joseph. Now, to be sure... The original hearers were to resist temptation and flee sin. After all, the Lord wanted them to be holy as he was holy. They were also to become bearers of the divine image, uh, reflecting, resembling, and representing their heavenly father. So by by all means, he would have wanted them to resist temptation and to flee sin. But they would have understood that this was all part of a much greater plan. A plan to to defeat Satan and sin through the seed that was promised to Eve. The one who would later be called the Anointed One. The Messiah. And then down through the centuries, more details of this... The Lord's plan would become evident. The Lord indeed freed the people of Israel from slavery. The Lord brought them to the promised land. The Lord conquered the land for them and gave it to them as an inheritance. And there would be a king from the line of Judah and that king's name would be David. The Lord promised him that there were to be a descendant of his whose throne would be established forever. That son of David, we know, was given the name Jesus and known as the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ. This Jesus defeated sin and Satan and, and had victory over death and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he will return once again to bring a complete consummation of his perfect plan. But we are are reminded of what Jesus promised his disciples. He doesn't promise a life of material wealth or worldly pleasures, momentary happiness he doesn't promise. But he does promise blessing. The gospel writer Matthew, recording Jesus' words in chapter 5 of his gospel, says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he promises blessing. But Jesus also promised to be with his people, his disciples. The end of Matthew's gospel, we're all familiar with the words. And it says, Jesus came and said to them, that is... Is this not encouragement to us? It should be. It must. This story, 30, not chapter thirty, and I must have been an encouragement to the people of Israel who had been in captivity, looking forward to when when the Lord Himself was going to rescue them from captivity. And and we know that Jesus defeated that enemy. And but. Are we not looking forward to him coming back again? Sometimes it seems like it's not happening, as it must have seemed to Joseph. When am I ever going to get out of this place? When am I ever going to really experience that blessing for myself? But take encouragement from from this. When we read this story, we we should remember that God promised to be with us to the end of the age. I believe, I believe his presence is here right now. And it will be with us until he comes again. And then that's going to be that's going to be the final part of God's plan and we will enjoy him forever in his Presence, when people of every nation, tribe, and tongue will be around his throne praising Jesus for what he has done. Perhaps there's some someone uh, who is hearing this message, hearing this service, who has never become a disciple of Christ. Uh, This is the day. He isn't going to promise you material wealth. He's not going to promise you a a material blessing in that sense. But all the eternal blessing of being in his presence for eternity. So I, I urge you, I urge you to consider Jesus and what he has done and put your trust in him. For the rest who are disciples, take encouragement. Take encouragement from this story. He is with us. He is blessing us. We may not always see it as a blessing, but he surely is blessing us. Amen. Well, next week, uh, chapter 40, uh, Joseph in the jailhouse. And we'll see further how God uh, was using Uh, him in that situation. Uh, But here now, uh, the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face, his presence shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his face, his presence to you and give you shalom. Amen.